Hello, what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil The Detail. Right, Paul, how's your week been, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you, mate. Very good. Uh, well, not so good on, on Saturday watching Salford after rushing home from work to... To, to watch that but uh, but yeah I'm not doing too bad mate thank you yeah we've got lots and lots to talk about on the sports zone tonight we've got rugby league we've got football we've got ice hockey we've got boxing we've got UFC we've got it all so we'll start Paul with rugby league and Salford Red Devils they travelled to France yesterday uh, Saturday uh, against Catalan Dragons and lost 42 points to 6 talk us through the game Paul Um, well without being uh, being too rude, it was a, a very very poor performance from Salford. Looked very flat. Um, Catalan Dragons got the, the the first try. I think after about 13, 14 minutes, two tries came came um, one after the other really for them. They got into a twelve point lead with James Maloney kicking the goals. And to be honest, Salford never really looked like coming back. It was funny because we had quite a bit of possession in the in the Catalan half. Sorry, in the Catalan twenty five actually through through two of the his kicking game he put some really good kicks in and put the pressure on them with uh, drop forcing dropouts but we couldn't create anything we, we didn't really look like scoring and uh, Catalan got another try got a penalty goal and were pretty comfortable at half time I thought really Salford not getting anywhere near them far too many mistakes again uh, missing tackles dropping off tackles and, and you can't afford to do that against Catalan because they'll, they'll just bust you down the middle and, and they did Sam Tompkins had a, had a really good game and you know we, we couldn't contain them really but there's something definitely missing from Salford second half no, we eventually got a try through Harvey Levet. But Catalan's punished us again. Fuad Yaha completed a, a really good hat-trick of tries for himself. And um, the last sort of 20 minutes of the game fizzled out a bit, really. There wasn't much action in that. But uh, Catalan's had put the queue on the rack, I think, by then. I think with 38 points, then a look at one stage. And it finished 42 points to six. So a real miserable performance. And I'm not sure where we go from here, Rob. Um, I, I didn't see any positives out of the game whatsoever. Um, it's not like we've got a load of injuries and we've got players to come back so I don't really know where Richard Marshall goes from here I mean feel sorry for him in a way his, his players you know, badly badly let him down yesterday yeah the only uh, bright spark for Salford was Harvey Livet uh, the only try scorer for Salford you know he's impressed so far during his stay at Salford he's only a few games in but he's showing his, uh, his class yeah well it's nice to see him score and I think you know if he was sort of giving players marks out of 10 I think Harvey Levet was probably one of the, the better performers on, on the on the day, but it's, it's worrying, Rob, that we've scored six points against say, uh, four points against Holland, six points against against Catalan. You know, averaging a try a game is pathetic, really, and it, it's something that needs needs putting right. I think the, the the body language of the players yesterday didn't look very good to to me. There were too many heads went down early doors in the game. I know it's a tough trip going to France, and it's it's tough going there. You know on the day and coming back on the same day but you'd expect at the start of the season a bit more fight and a bit more I don't I know a bit more gusto in there and, and it's something that's lacking at the moment especially after the, the win against Widness I know Widness uh, are a lower lower league team and, and we shouldn't get carried away but the, the team played really well in that game scored some good tries seemed to have a bit of confidence they did not take that into that game whatsoever it just looked like a, a beaten side really you know a side that's you know, right at the bottom of the table got nothing to play for and and it was a it was a shock to me. I wasn't expecting that. I, I don't know whether I was expecting us to win the game on Saturday, but I thought we'd have put up a real good fight and it'd have been a real tough contest. But we was we was beaten, you know, soundly really by Catalan, who, who didn't play for me, didn't really get out of second gear. They didn't have to do so. That's that's a worrying thing for Richard Marshall, definitely. Yeah, I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game in the press conference, and this is what he had to say. All right, Ricky, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. He beat today against Catalan. Talk to 
Yeah, not the required standard. Nowhere near good enough uh, for this club, uh, for where we're at. Um, that's that's my responsibility. The, the performance w was nowhere near good enough. I, I obviously didn't prepare the team in the right direction. I'll be making sure I fix that up this week. That's that's not of the required standard. Nowhere near good enough for us. Um, State's American penalties again. Is that the main frustration in sort of building up the pressure? I think so. I think we got ourselves in a position where we could score some points, certainly in that first half, and then just. Uh, just, just let the uh, the tyres down, deflated ourselves, um, and then there's some. We don't want it to become a habit where we're making too many errors and it, and it becomes the norm. We need to fix that up. We have done a lot of work over the pre-season on on our skill level, but obviously, quite clearly, not enough. Uh, we need to look at that even further. And, and the coach, what did you do to try to fix that? Uh, education. Go through it with the players. Um, I think I think we try and you know you can say you're trying too hard. We're trying to push the pass and push things that perhaps perhaps we haven't earned the right to do. We haven't earned the right to play um, through through our lack of discipline with the ball. Uh, again, there was a couple of penalties there. It was a tough game. Catalans give it to us physically, um, and I don't want to be sat here saying that week after week after week. Do you think the same day travel was a factor in our small start? Not particularly, no. I, I thought our, our preparation was good. Uh, the club has inve invested quite a lot in, in on the chartered plane and, and, and the food and, 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 and all the resources that's, that goes along with that. And we didn't replay the club at all. Uh, you know, and I take full responsibility for that. I'm, I, yeah, we were way off today. Yeah, Elijah Taylor with another bag today. Is that sort of a concern? He keeps picking up little injuries for you. Yeah, but he came through last last week okay. He probably could have played against Widnes, but we didn't want to risk him. Um, I think it was it was more of a, a precaution. We just thought we needed to get him off. Yeah, it is a concern though that he's picking up the same injury uh, in consecutive weeks, and poorly again. Yeah, with his ankle. So yeah, um, they probably wouldn't. You know, if the scoreline would have been reversed, I'm sure they'd have both stayed on the field. Yeah, Lee. Next week, how big of a game is that now? Yeah, it's an important game for both clubs. Um, it's important for us that, that we need to improve on our last performance. It's a shame that we did so well against Widnes and we couldn't re replicate that, albeit you know, Super League is a different competition to the Challenge Cup. We've got some tough games. Listen, we've had a tough start, we really have. The teams that we've played have been flying. Uh, there's no hiding and getting away from that. However, we need to be playing a lot better as a group uh, and as a team. We're not, we're not connected at the moment. So, Richard Marshall, disappointed with the result, Paul, but put the blame firmly in his hands. He said the blame should be on him uh, and no one else. Um, do you think there's pressure building on, on Richard Marshall? He's on play three, lost three in the Super League so far. We've got Lee next week. Um, that's a big, big game now. Do I think there's pressure on Richard Marshall? There shouldn't be. Um, Richard Marshall, I thought it was a very strange comment from him, the way he blamed himself for that. Um, and he, I heard him say something about the preparations and that. And I heard in the week... The, the preparations have gone really well. So to say the preparations have gone well and they haven't gone well, I don't know. Is he, I think he's he's um, he's a good bloke, Richard Marshall, and he's looking after his players there. And I think his players need to have a look in the mirror 
and, and and take a bit of flack off the coach because they're getting paid good money. And then your coach is then taking the rap for you. No, I'm not having that at all. I think the players need to stand up and be counted this week. Richard Marshall doesn't go out there and miss tackles and drop balls. He can pick a side. Then it's up to those players to go out there. There's some players in there. You've got a couple of players who've been picked to in the in the England team. You know, Callum Watkins, people like that, season pros, two of all here, international player. They've got to start performing as a team as well. You can't lay it all on the coach. You know, the coach can only do so much. So, uh, no, I thought that was commendable of Richard Marshall to say that. And I think it just shows you, you know, what, what a good guy he is. And I, I really hope his side perform this week and, and take a bit of pressure off him because, you know, he, he's new into this job. He's doing it tough as well. And we've mentioned this on our podcast. He's not met any of the supporters yet. He's not played a game with fans in a stadium yet. He's played all his matches behind closed doors and he must be tough as a new coach, that. So, uh, so yeah, he's got my full support, Rob. And there shouldn't be any pressure on him. He should get the full season um, this year with Salford. Whether he does or he doesn't, I don't, I don't know. But Lee is going to be a tough game on, on, on the weekend. You know, they've they've had four defeats. Um, they lost in the cup as well. So this is this now is a, is a, is a massive game. You know, I've heard people saying it's a must-win game. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think any game's a must-win game. You can't put that much pressure on a match. You've just got to go out there and do the business. But it is a massive game for us. Yeah, the mistakes and the errors, Paul. Is that a, a players trying to perform sort of too much, trying to care too much, want to do too much and forcing passes? Or, or is it just obviously you know brain farts, not players not responding to situations well? Um, I think it's probably a mixture of a lot of things. The, to me, they didn't look like much of a game plan. Um We've we've said throughout the close season, you know, our, our back line looks terrific, and and it does. I mean, we get to see Joe Burgess, have we? but the rest of the the players there in the back line, the centres, the three quarters, some good players in there. You know, Morgan Esgray looks a, you know, is a decent fullback. He comes with a decent pedigree. I think for me at the moment, the the problem is at half back. I think a lot of it. I don't know whether our six and seven's right. Um, I don't know whether we need to change things around there. We've got Andy Ackers coming off the bench. Who, who comes off the bench and he's probably the best player on the pitch. So I think we need to change things around there. We need to start with Andy Akers, I think, start on the front foot against Lee. Um, but we don't seem to have a lot of idea going forward, though, either when we've got the ball. We had a, quite a bit of dangerous ball, as I said before. And a lot of it's off the cuff. There doesn't seem a lot of structure to our play. Defence looks soft. Uh, we don't look aggressive enough. We don't look... There's not a lot of confidence in the side there, and I know confidence comes from from winning games and things like that. But there doesn't seem that hunger and desire there that we that we've had in previous seasons. You know, we got to that grand final and the Challenge Cup final last year. There's a, there's a lot of team spirit there, and the players wanted to to fight for each other. There doesn't seem a lot of fight in that side at the moment, and that's something that needs addressing quickly. Yeah, it's important, obviously, to get back to winning ways, Charlotte, because the more defeats go, you know, games go against them, and the more defeats happen. More pressure turns on players. More pressure turns on coach. And Super League is a, is a is a winning business. You need to keep winning, and and that's what Salford will be aiming to do in the next couple of weeks. He certainly will, yeah. And, and and there's been a lot of people have said, oh, this team's going to be down there. That team's going to be down there. And some of the other sides who have not been been fancied, the likes of Ulkayar and and Wakefield, it, they they've sort of put in some decent performances, haven't they? I watched Ulkayar at the weekend and very impressed with them. They played some entertaining rugby and scored twenty odd points. And I think as a Salford supporter, that's the worry. You don't mind losing games, but we're shipping loads of points in, but we're not scoring any points either. So it's a bit of a double-headed sword really for us. So, I mean, Lee have had some some big defeats this season, but they've scored a few points as well and sort of gone down fighting. And I think with us, against Catalan particularly, and, and the whole game, I think we went down with a bit of a whimper really. So, yeah, it's vital we, we get we get a result. We've got some tough games coming up. We've got Lee this week and then Castleford at home the week after. So you've got two home games there to, to go at before, before a Challenge Cup tie against Cass. So, 
games are coming thick and fast, but you've got two old matches now to to hopefully put things uh, put things right. Yeah, um, off the field, Paul. The Salford Supporters Trust have written an open letter and organised a petition as rumours still circulate about the purchase of the AJ Bell. Uh, obviously, we don't know uh, whether that's true or not, but the supporters just are very keen uh, for Salford to be part of that process. Hopefully, uh, we will we will get to know more shortly. Yeah, I think everybody who supports Salford is, is keen to know the process. I mean, I don't really really know the ins and outs of things but I'd like to know what our lease is on the, uh, on the on the stadium I mean when you normally go to a new stadium you get like a 25 year lease or whatever don't we so I don't know what that agreement is or whether that agreement's changed or whether we've sold it or or whatever so that I think hopefully we'll find some some more things out but no the supporters trust are right behind that I'm in a few of the, the whatsapp groups and see some of the messages I'm fairly quiet in them to be honest because I'm always busy at work but I do when I get a minute I do try and read things and, and see how people are feeling you know people have a right to be to be worried haven't they and you know I was thinking at the weekend I hope this this sort of worry about the stadium and things like that are not rubbing off on the players because you know players are on social media players will read things and is that having a bit of a cloud over us at the moment I'm not too sure so yeah we, we need a bit of positive news don't we at the moment and that's 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 definitely uh, something that's a, a bit of a worry in the background yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, Salford been staying, I think, seven years. Salford Red Devils, so uh, they seem to want. They've made it the home, really, Paul. So it's it will be difficult if Salford do have to, to to leave and find a new home. But like I say, we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, we will. I think it's a long it's a long process. That, like you said, what we've done there, 2012, our first season in there. So we we've, we've done nearly what we've done eight or nine years in there now. So. Uh, yeah, and it's become a home. I think we've made it into our home, haven't we? And uh, you know, a lot of the, the problems, early doors of parking and things like that. I think it's I think it's great the stadium now. You know, to get to, I really enjoy going to the AJ Bell Stadium, and uh, we have made it our home. We've had some terrific wins there, some 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 really good nights there, and it'd be such a shame if if, if for one reason or another we had to go and find somewhere else. So let's hope, you know, that you know, stick up for us and help us out. I'm sure they will do. They've done it before for us, so it's important now as a community in the city we all get together and. You know, let's make people know that the rugby club is massive in Salford and a massive part of the of the history and culture of the city. So let's hope we all we all stay behind it and and we can keep our home at the AJ Bell. Yeah, obviously, if, if you want to join the petition, um, sort of sign it online, and and hopefully, um, you know, your voice will be heard when decisions will be made uh, in the future. So other news: uh, Swinton Lions uh, they faced Featherstone Rovers and. Lost 36 points to six, Paul. Stuart Littler's men, Featherstone, are a very good team. So it's a good show, really. Well, yeah, Featherstone Rovers are, are the are the, um, the bookies' favourites, aren't they? We've, we've mentioned it before for the for the championship. And I think three tries in the in the first 20 minutes sort of blew Swinton Lions away in that game. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have matches that they'll be targeting to win, won't they? And uh, Featherstone Rovers was probably always going to be a tough game for them and a big ass. So, you know, 36, uh, 36 points to six, it's... You know, it's not a close game, is it? But you know, they're a tough side. You know, look down Featherstone's team. They've got some big players in there. I mentioned the week with Chris Wellams there, isn't he? Craig Copjack and Connor Jones, who played at Salford. You've got Brett Ferris in there as well, and Craig Hall, who's, a, who's been a points machine, hasn't he? In, in up and up and throughout the league. So, uh, so they've got some good players there. And the junior Moore's plays for Featherstone as well. I forgot about him. So they've got a good side there, and and, and they'll be expected to get promotion to, to Super League. So, so no, uh, no disgrace losing that game. I'm sure Stuart Little will be getting his players heads down in. in training this week and they'll be looking to bounce back next weekend yeah uh, Lewis Hatton um, Swinton Lions players injured his bicep and will be out for the season we were a big blow for Swinton um, he was, he's a good player and you know he's going to be missed 
Yeah, it certainly is, and it's a big blow for for for, for Lewis as well, isn't it? You know, um, just at the start of a season, there you're getting yourself prepared, and you've looked forward to it. You've done all your training, you've done your pre-season training, you've you've sacrificed things, haven't you? And what a massive blow that is. Uh, you know, let's not let's you know these players are part-time professionals as well, they have jobs and things like that. So it's a massive blow to them psychologically as well, the lad. And let's hope he comes back uh, fitter and stronger, and uh, you know, a big blow for Swinton, who's probably not got the biggest squad in the league as well. So uh, so yeah, that is a blow. Yeah, they face you. York at home next game um, another tough fixture uh, and we'll be testing well yeah York are another side aren't they that um, you know are up there aren't they challenging in, the, in that in that league and are going to be a side that everybody's talking about aren't they moved to a new stadium and they're another team who, who've signed some some big names haven't they Adam Cuthbertson's gone there and um, Ben Jones Bishop who played at Salford Danny Kerman I think's there they've, Ryan Atkins they've got some uh, some big talent some big names in there you know some of them who, who are probably coming towards the end of their career but they're, uh, they've got a lot of ambition there at York, haven't they, to, to play Super League? I know they were playing Sheffield Eagles as, as we record this programme. I think they're just kicking off now in that game, so listeners will probably know the score of that now, so that'll be a tough game for them. But another tough game for Swinton, though. It's a big start to the season, that playing some of the, the big sides. It's a home game, though, and uh, you know, Stuart Little will have his side fired up for that. Hopefully they've learned from a few of the mistakes today and uh, a bit battle-hardened from the game today and they can bounce back against York. Yeah, it'd be exciting. Uh, two good games to look forward to uh, this week for our local sides. And hopefully they'll both bounce back uh, from the defeats this week they suffered against Catalan and uh, Feverston Rovers. So, been great talking uh, rugby league with Paul. Uh, like always on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio, we love to talk Salford and Swinton. But we've got other sports to talk about now. Uh, and what we'll do, we'll talk uh, boxing with uh, Paul and James. So... Uh, now we've got Jane Sweeten from Sweeten Sound Podcast. Um, how's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific, Rob. I can't wait to break down the boxing with Paul. Yeah, talking about boxing, it's yours and Paul's turn to start boxing. Absolutely. Now, Paul, as controversial as it was, the biggest fight over the weekend was the one between the YouTuber and the wrestler as Jake Paul took on Ben Askren. And it was the YouTuber that prevailed once again knocking Ben Askren out inside the very first round. He's come from YouTube, and now he's knocking out professional athletes. My question to you first up, Paul, is although he's not at the class of a Tyson Fury or an Anthony Joshua, in terms of numbers, he's doing over a million pay-per-view buys. He's a massive draw in terms of tickets. The whole world seemingly is speaking about him. Does he have the potential to become one of, if not the biggest star in the world of combat sports, regardless of his competition? Yeah, he probably does. You're probably right. I mean, if you're getting that many people watching and viewing you, you know, the guy must have a bit of talent, as he's shown, you know, knocking Ben Askren out in in round one. Um, Talented guy. And can he keep getting better? I'm not too sure. It's up to him to build his own legacy now, isn't it? If he keeps fighting and keeps knocking people off, he's probably, his audience is probably going to grow, isn't it? So, uh, So why not? You can't deny the guy. If he's entertaining people, it's an entertainment business, I suppose, isn't it? Sport, it's supposed to combat sport. So he's entertaining the public and, and doing the business. He's getting the results. So uh, in a way, good luck to him. Ben Askren is somebody, although renowned for terrible striking, he's always had an unbelievably solid chain. He's never somebody who's gone it down easily. So what does it mean that Jake Paul was able to knock him out with ease inside the first round? As I said, it shows that Jake Paul has, has talent and he's got a bit of power there as well, hasn't he? I'm not like a massive expert on him, but an impressive result that for him, really an impressive win. And I'm not so sure where he goes from from there. So, yeah, he's entertaining people. And, 
you know, to get those, that, those sort of followers and those sort of views and, and pay-per-views and things like that, it, it just shows that there's a market for it and and people are, in, are enjoying it. So, you know, let's just watch this space and, and see where he goes from here now. I mean, there's rumours left, right and centre as to who could be next. And the main one from today is Tommy Fury. But... Real boxer. Or is the fact that he's claiming he's this fantastic fighter, does he need to step in with a real boxer to prove himself like a Tommy Fury? I think that would be be a cracking fight. That I really do. Yeah, I think I think why not? I think it's one that you know would raise Tommy Fury's profile through the roof as well. Can you imagine that many million viewers watching that? So that's going to raise it. It's a, it's a gamble for him, I suppose, if it doesn't come off. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see why not. I think that'd be be a perfect for him. Now he's got the ambitions to do it, and he's, if he's calling people out, I think it's it's time to find out how good he is now, and uh, and that would be. I think that'd be be a good matchup. That to be honest with you, it's one I one I'd like to see. I just want to ask you, Paul, about a couple of controversial statements he made at the press conference. The first one being that he said he had early signs of CTE, which is a concussive disorder, which obviously can affect mental health and decision making. Basically, basically, after years of being punched in the head, it's something that you can develop, and many fighters have developed that over the years. However, CT is something that can only be diagnosed after you've died by opening up the brain. So is it a bit disrespectful that he seemingly seems to be lying about a brain disorder, which some fighters have had in maybe an attempt to look hard or cool or whatever it may be? A bit of a silly thing to say, I think, to be honest, James. That uh, You know, why would you come out with that statement? Really, it just seems a daft thing to, to say. And yeah, obviously, if you can't, I don't really know a lot about that 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 sort of uh, condition so um, you've, you've informed me something there as well so if you can't tell until you've actually opened somebody's brain up and had a look it's a bit of a, a, bit of a silly thing to say but he seems to be full of controversy and you know that controversial statements and controversial actions I suppose are, are what get the, the followers aren't they and the likes and the views on, on, on YouTube and, and on these pay-per-view events aren't they but yeah a bit of a bit of a daft thing to say I think that really and his last quote, Paul, was that he was asked what type of prospect does he see himself as? He replied, an elite-level prospect who could go on to win a world title. Is this a bit... I mean, do we need to hold our horses a little bit? Surely he can't be considered, you know, in the same likes of, you know, your Daniel Dubois and, you know, people like that. Um, it's, a, it's a funny one. If he can keep progressing, and he's obviously got a bit of talent there, a bit of raw talent, hasn't he? And if he can keep progressing and, and, and getting results and, and knocking people off and gaining confidence and gaining momentum, momentum can take you a long way. We know that in, in all sorts of sports, don't they? Particularly in, in, in boxing. And I don't, I don't know. It's, it's frightening, really, what, what people can do. So I suppose it's going to be, be interesting to see how it all develops, how his career develops. And, you know, it's, it, it's one of those, I suppose. You've just got to strap yourself in and, and go on the, the ride, haven't you? So... Uh, I don't really know. I, I don't think he's, he's, he's the most talented guy in the world. But, you know, fighting a boxer, I think, like we were saying there about Tommy Fury, I think if he was to fight a boxer, then we, you're going to see that's going to open a few doors then and, and maybe pick a few of his flaws as well. And it might catch him out a little bit, but it'll be a test for him and one that will be interesting to, to see how it goes. Yeah, and the last question on this fight for you, Paul. Ben Askren was an Olympic wrestler, a world wrestling champion. He won world titles in one championship in Bellator, two MMA world titles. But now he's been knocked out by a YouTuber. Do you think that will overshadow all the achievements he's had in his wrestling career? Or do you not think it'll matter so much? 
No, no, I don't think so. Uh, it's like when you get sportsmen moving over from other sports. We've seen it in boxing over the last decade or so, and we've had quite a lot of footballers moving over, um, and good footballers as well. You know, I think of Curtis Woodhouse and people like that who've who've progressed and come over to both sports. And just because he's had a, a bad loss in boxing, you won't forget what he's done in his other sports because it's a totally different sport. But it can, I suppose, it can tarnish your, your legacy sometimes, can't it? Because that's what people remember if it's you know if it's talked about and it's all over the media. But I wouldn't get too worried about that. It's, you know, what you achieved in that other sport, it'll never be forgotten by the people who, who love that sport, will it? So, uh, so no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. Yeah, moving on to the undercard, Regis Progre was back in action. He had an interesting affair with Iron Redcar, knocking him out via a body shot. However, Redcar complained it was low. It seemingly wasn't. Progre hasn't got the knockout on his record that he would have liked. It ended up being a technical decision. But either way, he's back in the winning column. And do you will have a very close eye on the Josh Taylor-Jose Ramirez winner? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's a, a fight that we're looking forward to, aren't we? And it was good to see Pro Ray get the result. We know he's a classy operator at you know at, at that level. And um, that, that would be a nice fight to watch. So uh, I'm looking forward to the, the Taylor fight. But uh, but no, I, I didn't think that that was a was a low blow, to be honest with you. I thought it was a, was, was fine. That There didn't seem a lot in that to me at all. And moving on to another fight on the undercard, former UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Frank Mir, similarly to Ben Askren, has crossed over into the world of boxing. He took on an extremely difficult opponent in Steve Cunningham, a former IBF cruiserweight champion of the world, a man who famously put Tyson Fury on the deck in New York a few years ago. Mir managed to go the distance with a former world champion. And surely that's incredible to do in your boxing debut. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think it's a tr- tremendous, uh, tremendous feat on a, on a boxing debut, isn't it? To to, to go that far and uh, just shows you that there's a, there's a bit of talent there, and that's something for him to to, to build on. Really, you know, uh, something that surprised me definitely. I didn't think it was going to go that far, but no, definitely something to build on and uh, something to be proud of, and you know, uh, something to hang your hat on. Really, and another fight announced by Triller after this. Last fight, they're now going to be putting together a fight between George Cambosis and Teofimo Lopez. And in the co-main event, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Evander Holyfield, is back in action against Kevin McBride, who famously beat Mike Tyson. Is this one that's going to pique your interest a bit, Paul? Or does it not have quite the same effect as the Tyson-Jones fight did a few months ago? No, it's going to be an exciting one. I always find these a bit... I don't know a bit... (laughs) I'm not going to say false because I think that's a bit disrespectful, but it's like the, the Tyson and Carson Jones fight. I always just think, you know, you need to sort of retire and retire gracefully sometimes. You know, when you, you talk about boxers at this sort of age, it, it doesn't sit well with me. I mean, it's, it's a physical sport and you, you retire from boxing because your body's telling you to retire and your body's telling you that it's, you know, it's the time. Your body knows when it's. When it's right, when when it's right to retire and it's right to finish because it's tired, it's slow, it's not reacting as quick, um, and then to come back after that in a sport like boxing, I think it's it, it seems a strange decision. But more and more people seem to be doing it, and there's more and more. There's been a lot of talk about it over here. I think last couple of years we've heard about perhaps Johnny Nelson coming back. I know he didn't in the end. Steve Collins, Chris Eubank Senior, and people like that. And I don't know. It, it always makes me feel a bit uneasy and a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, and a question, the last one, Paul, about 
the production of the whole show. I mean, we used to boxed events being done in a very traditional way. This one most certainly wasn't. I think there was eight musical acts performing. Justin Bieber headlined the whole bill. And the commentary team was made up of comedians and rappers. And the whole thing just seemed very weird, very bizarre. But could this be the future of the sport, Paul? Or do you think it's just going to be a few one-offs like this and it won't overly catch on? I hope it doesn't. I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a boxing purist. I like my commentators and the people involved and you know to, to know what they're talking about so I can learn things off the sport. I think quite a lot of boxing fans would probably say that to you. Just to have a rapper and a comedian, what are they saying in the commentary that's, you know, other than, you know, cheering a, a big punch on or something like that? They're not going to tell you anything. So I hope not. I mean, as I said before, you know, sport nowadays, it's an entertainment business. People like that. We see it at football, at rugby league and, and things like that. You'll have entertainment on a half-time and, you know, the grand final in rugby league always have like live acts on performing and things like that. But I don't know. Perhaps we have one or two on, but not in between every fight. And, and I, I, I don't know. It's Like I said, I'm a bit old school in, in, in sport, in boxing and in life in general, really, myself. But that's that's just, just my opinion. So uh, I hope not. I mean, the, the way the boxing has been over in the UK in the last few months, you'd, you'd have said that we've had rappers and comedians judging some of the fights, the way, the way some of the scorecards have come out. But, uh, but yeah, we'll have to... Uh, it's all about opinions, I suppose, isn't it? And like I said, I'm a bit of a purist. No, I think the purist within you, Paul, would have been more concentrated on another fight that happened on the same night, and that was a battle between America's Demetrius Andrade and Wales's Liam Williams. And I think we both really fancied the Welsh underdog. We thought his grit and determination may have been enough to see him through. And he put in a valiant effort to try and win the world title. But ultimately, Andrade was just a little bit too slick for him on the night. Yeah, I think he was. You're right there. It was the fight I've been looking forward to all week. I'm a massive Liam Williams fan. I think he's a real rugged, real tough, no-nonsense fighter with an awful lot of talent as well. And um, I, I happen to believe that he, he could do a job on Demetrius Andrade. But we know Andrade's a class fighter. Um, you know, he, he rocked Liam Williams early doors, didn't he? You know, dropping him there. But I thought Williams fought back. He fought fire with fire. And, you know, he's that sort of fighter. And I think he's, in a way, dragged Andrade into a bit of a brawl at times, or tried to. But Andrade, he's, he's clever. He's a world-class operator. And he wouldn't let him really drag him into a brawl. He, he held on. He frustrated Williams and in box, right? That's what boxing's all about. People sometimes think, oh, boxing's about people swinging and, and, and knocking people out. It's not boxing's about boxing move, you know, not be hit. You know, you look at Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, he's the, the ultimate master at that, you know, not being hit and getting out of the way. It takes an awful lot of skill to do that. And and Andrade did it in, in spades. He was he was classier on the night and, you know, took the unanimous points decision. You know, it, it, it was the correct decision and, and, and a wonderful performance. Yeah, and before we analyse that performance a tiny bit more, Paul, I want to ask you about Liam Williams. He didn't come away with the world title on the night, but he clearly showed bags and bags of heart. And do you think he comes away with a lot of respect? And do you think he can become a world champion in the future? Yeah, definitely, definitely. He's a well-respected boxer anyway, James, isn't he? You know, by people who know the boxing in the UK. Um, very well-respected. He's, he's at a level now where he's on world level. He's far too good for... For sort of British level fights, there's an awful lot of good uh, fights at British level and things like that, European level. But he's not—he's a world world class operator. You can see that the way he he, he shook Andrade there. He was a, he was a fantastic fighter. Um, so Liam Williams will get another shot. I'm sure he will. He, he's he's one of those fighters that lives in the gym. Really, really dedicated man, and he's always got an edge to him as well. And I think you know that edge eventually will will get you your dream and you'll you'll get your world title. And I think he's 
he'll get a title. There's no doubt about that. I think he's uh, he's up there now in the, those higher higher peaks of boxing. And uh, you know, once he gets the right fight and gets his game plan right, there's there's no doubt he'll, he'll take a world title. Yeah, and the man, of course, defended his world title. Demetrius Andrade, clearly extremely talented. I mean, he shows bursts of absolute brilliance. But what I want to ask you, Paul, is how much star power does he have? Because he seems to always start these fights extremely well. He'll drop his opponents early, and then he'll maybe he'll gas a bit, and then it'll be just a case of you know using his knowledge and IQ just to sort of fiddle his way through fights. Do you think he needs more of a statement performance against some of these bigger names to get a Golovkin or a Canelo in the ring with him? Well, I think that's his, his sort of his dream now is to take you know one of those elite level fighters as I like to call them I know Andrade's probably an elite level fighter but these guys are are up there as, as the pound for pound best guys in the world these are the, the, the boxers that are on everybody's lips aren't they and I think he deserves that shot now but I, I know what you're saying he, he doesn't seem to uh, not really seen a blow a blowout sort of 12 round performance for him where you thought wow he does sort of duck in and out of fights doesn't he but very very tricky customer I think you know Liam Williams was thrown by the by the southpaw stance as well, wasn't he? I thought he struggled to deal with that a bit as well, as many boxers do. But, uh, no, Andrade deserves that chance now. And uh, I'd like to see him in there with Golovkin. I think uh, around that middleweight mark now, I think that there's some some terrific fights there at that level to be made. We all talk about the heavyweights and things like that, but th- this division here has got some fantastic fighters in. And, uh, yeah, we could see some really big fights made now for him. So, uh, so watch this space on that one. And now we're going to cross over to the opposite side of the world, Paul. And we're building up for this one for a very long time. We've both agreed that it could well be the biggest fight in Australian boxing history. And if you listen to the show live, this fight is on tomorrow morning, Wednesday, in the early hours, probably about 8, 9, 10. Paul Gallen, a great rugby league player, and the former champion world, Lucas Brown, collide in a monstrous clash, Paul. Can you give us a breakdown of this fight? Yes, well, I'll try to. Um, I don't. Re- I've not really watched a lot of Paul Gallon boxing, and I've seen the odd, the odd bits of him. I can tell you about his rugby league career. I could talk all night about that. He's a fantastic rugby league player. Uh, Lucas Brown, as well, is is a boxer who I've always admired. I think he's one of the he's as brave as they come. Um, terrific Australian fighter, and uh, one of the best that's come out of that country. And I think this is this is a big fight, a real entertaining fight. And as you said, there, this could be one of the biggest fights that you know Australia's seen. So. So, uh, so yeah, to, to break the fight down, you know, Paul Gallon's not the biggest of guys. People tend to think he's a really tall guy, but he's not. He's, he's sort of a, a cube sort of shape, really, but a very, very strong man. Um, Lucas Brown, he's obviously going to have the reach and, and height advantage. I think he's about six foot five, isn't he, Lucas Brown? So he'll definitely have that, that advantage for, um, there. But, uh, you know, Paul Gallon's relatively a novice as well. Only had 11 or so fights, hasn't he? Whereas Lucas Brown has uh, been around forever now in, in his career and, and fought some of the best as well. So, I definitely say Lucas Brown for me is uh, is, is the favourite for this one. He is, and with that favourite tag, do you think he's carrying in a lot of pressure, Paul? Because surely he's expected to be a rugby league player. Yeah, the pressure's definitely on him. Definitely on him. I mean, Lucas Brown's been in with some good fighters, hasn't he? I mean, he's lost two, if if my memory serves me, Dave Allen and Dylan White. Uh, the Dave Allen fight, going back to that, I thought he got. He got caught in the headlights in that fight for me against a guy who's probably, I'm not being disrespectful to Dave Allen at all, good, good fighter. And uh, I don't think he's the, the greatest fighter that's ever been on the planet, has he? And, and he got caught out that night, Lucas Brown. So if, if Paul Gallon comes in with the right 
the right game plan, and there's no reason why he can't rock Brown. He's, he's got flaws in his in his um, in his in his game, um, but I, ju- I just think with that reach and, and height advantage, he he should have too much really. But uh, no, it's the pressure's on him. Like you said, he's he's the boxer really, isn't he? And, and Paul Gallon's moved over from another sport, and you know people will, will, will be saying that, and I'm sure he'll have that worry on his mind. Won't he? I can't lose to this guy, you know, rugby league player and things like that. So he, he's got to cope with that pressure, but. It does make a really, really intriguing fight between two really aggressive men as well. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to watching this one. It's just a just a strange, well, it's not a strange time. It's a strange day really for a fight. But uh, you know, with it being the, the time difference, and I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it though. And Paul Gallen, of course, you know so much about his rugby league career, and he's such a gritty, determined man. And in his last fight against kickboxing and MMA legend Mark Hunt, he was considered a massive underdog, and he came through that one. Do you think the fact that he's the underdog again against Lucas Brown, do you think he'll rise to that occasion? And where do you think his mentality is now? He knows that he's taking such a monstrous step up against somebody who's you know, won a world title. How is he going to cope with this pressure? Yeah, I think um, I think he'll cope with it. He's done everything in rugby league, hasn't he? You know, obviously, it's a different sport, but he's been there, been in pressure cooker atmosphere, playing in front of thousands and thousands of people in, in, in World Cups and Test matches and State of Origin games and, and big grand finals in Australia. So he's no um, he's no sort of novice to, to, to that sort of pressure. Um, how does he go on in the fight? I think he's I think he's just got to got to attack the fight. Like like he would do in his rugby league days, he's just got to go in there and, and, and give it his best shot. And and as I said before, Lucas Brown has got flaws in in his game, and, and he'll be working on that. There's no doubt about that. And it just makes a real intriguing, really intriguing contest, doesn't it? I, I keep going back to the the height and reach advantage of Lucas Brown. I, I think that's where he's he's going to uh, come into his own. Five foot ten, I think he is, Paul Gallon. So there's a big difference there, real big difference and you're just hoping it doesn't it doesn't affect it too much I'm hoping it's a really close contest and one that we can we can really enjoy we don't want it to be over in, in like a round or so and I don't think it will be Paul Gallon is gritty as they come he's as tough as they come and um, yeah it, it's one I'm really really looking forward to and now moving on to the English fight this weekend there's a decent little scrap between two great prospects in Denzel Bentley and Felix Cass and do you think this is an opportunity for one of them to cement themselves as somebody who can go on to maybe compete for European honours and things like that yeah certainly really looking forward to this one I've been very impressed with uh, with, with Felix Cash over the uh, last couple of years I think he's a really entertaining boxer really tough tough man as well and you know his, his win over Jason Wellborn last time out was, was a good performance the, the Jack Cullen one as well it uh, was a really good performance, and, and Denzel Bentley is is another tough man. Um, you know, we we saw him in um, the fight, the two fights against uh, Mark Efron. You know, a, a local guy to me. I know um, I always tell you about the Liam Williams fight with Efron, but I thought Denzel Bentley. The, the first fight was a draw. The, the second fight, I thought he absolutely schooled Efron, and uh, he deserves to step up now. So this is this is two guys here who are, um, you know, coming up, good coming up prospects, and and when they clash, the, these. These, these sort of fighters sometimes they, they're mouth-watering contests aren't they? you've got two really ambitious guys who, who want to make it in the sport and this is a real real tough one to call I thought Cash was was uh, was very good in his last couple of fights but as as, as Bentley as well so uh, so yeah very very tough to fight to call but one I'm looking forward to Another bit of gossip Andy Ruiz has managed to drop £36 since his last fight with Anthony Joshua and it's not long until he steps back in the ring again against Chris Ariola. 
Having lost all this weight, Paul, are we expecting a new and improved Andy Ruiz, somebody who's actually taken the sport seriously? And maybe, you know, we might see the very best version of him. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I saw some photographs of him a couple of weeks ago and um, absolutely shocked, really, at his body shape and, and how he looked. And um, I think it's only going to have a positive effect on him. Definitely. We, we, we know what a tremendous boxer he is, the tremendous skills he's got uh, as a boxer. You know, he's not just a, a, a sort of a punch bag, is he, Andy Ruiz? He's, he's very, very clever. He's very, very wily, as we've seen in, in, in some of his fights recently, you know, the, particularly the first Joshua fight. And he's very, very powerful as well. Though those hooks are, are tremendous. And now he's got himself in, 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 in this tremendous shape. I think you're going to see the best of it, definitely. And moving on to another bizarre decision from the World Boxing Association, the WBA. Daniel Dubois will be making his comeback fight on June the 5th against Bogdan Dino, and the WBA have sanctioned it for their world interim title. It seems a very bizarre one, Paul. I mean, Daniel Dubois just coming off that loss to Joe Joyce. Bogdan Dino has fought a couple of journeymen since losses to uh, Kubrat Pulev and Jarrell Miller. And the winner of this will be the mandatory for a world title. It just seems very bizarre. It does. Boxing's like that sometimes, isn't it? Some some blokes have to um, put themselves through the mill to get anywhere near a world title fight, and yet these two are coming. Well, particularly Dubois coming off the back of a loss, and all of a sudden you, you you're in there. Sometimes it's a case of right place, right time, isn't it? With boxing and you know whatever um, sort of belt you, you're going for, or it, it just seem a very strange one to me. I, I don't know. Um, we, we hear about like sort of plastic champions and things like that all the time and not that I'd say that I think it's a bit of a disrespectful thing to say but it does frustrate you sometimes the way some people have to go on a certain route and yet others seem to uh, seem to get the easier route so it doesn't always sit well with me that to be honest with you yeah and the last one for you Paul Dave the White Rhino Island I think he's a favourite of mine and yours and he's a cult hero in general within the field of British boxing he recently retired. However, since having talks with Eddie Hearn, it's looking like he's going to make a comeback. As much as I've enjoyed his career and as much as I like him, I think I'd rather see Dave Allen stay retired now. I mean, he, you know, he was taking a lot of hard fights. He was getting, you know, some beatings here and there, taking a lot of damage. What do you think, Paul? Would you like to see him retire or would you like to see him make this comeback? Um, he's not fought now since... Was it? It was that of early twenty twenty. The last time he fought, wasn't it? And he, I, I'm, I'm just trying to work out how old he is. I, I don't think he's he's that old, is he, uh, Dave Allen? Um, but I did see some videos of him. I think I think you showed him actually um, of him inspiring and some of the the punishment he was taking. Um, and I think it was after that those sparring sessions that the actually the decision was made, wasn't it? He was taking that much punishment. I think his, his team must have said to him, "You know, this this isn't for you anymore." So. For him to all of a sudden make that U-turn and, and, and go back into boxing, it does seem a strange decision. Who's put that idea in his head? Is it, is it speaking to Eddie Hearns? Because we all know he's a big ticket seller and he's, he's a big fan's favourite. And, and yeah, he's, he's very, very entertaining. He's been in some, some really good fights, hasn't he? And uh, you know, some fights that we've really enjoyed as well. But you know, I remember he's, he's lost to David Price. To me, there was something there in that fight where he... he I'm not saying he didn't look interested, but he didn't look right to me. He looked like that, that sort of fire had gone from him. So, um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see him back in the ring because he's a really likeable guy. But is he doing it for the right reasons? And let's hope if he does come back, he, uh, he, he makes a real go of it and doesn't, doesn't get hurt. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us, Paul. And this time next week, we'll be breaking down the fight between Lucas Brown and Paul Gallant. We hope it's a good one. Now I'm going to throw over to Rob. Well, Rob, it's time to talk ice hockey. And Manchester Storm have a very busy week ahead, don't they? Yeah, James, they've had a really busy week uh, this week. Uh, they played all three sides uh, in the Elite League. They lost 4-3 to Nottingham. An overtime win for the Panthers uh, snatched a victory for them. Then they faced Coventry and lost 4-3 in a, a thrilling encounter there. But then on Sunday, uh, they beat local rivals uh, Sheffield Steelers 3-2. Uh, Sean Bomer, the goalkeeper, 36 saves in the game, uh, James, uh, is, is, is the wall in that Manchester Storm goal at Makes all the difference uh, in an ice hockey match if your goalie can, can uh, save the puck. Um, they've got some great strikers up front as well, scoring goals for me. It's just hopefully they'll be able to turn the corner, uh, Ryan Fintz's men. Absolutely. And where does that leave them in the league at the moment? Yeah, third in the league, James. Um, still games to play. Hopefully they can uh, find a way uh, of winning. And uh, continue the good run, because that's what it's all about. They just need to keep winning uh, and push the teams at the top. Most certainly. And is there any good fixtures coming up for them? Yeah, this week, um, they've got Nottingham uh, twice, once on Monday, once on Wednesday. They've got Coventry on Saturday and then Sheffield again on Sunday. So, Ryan Finney, his men, will be looking for four wins from four there, James, to propel them up the league uh, and test, uh, test themselves against the best. Well, certainly, and it's exciting times ahead for Manchester Storm. But I'm going to throw the ball back to you now, Rob, because we're going to talk football. And I think the most prominent issue on everybody's minds is this European Super League. Gary Neville was going mental about it. The fans are in meltdown about it. What do you make of it? Yeah, James, big news. Uh, European Super League, not just a rumour by the look of it. UEFA and the Premier League have condemned the Rebel clubs uh, from England, Spain and Italy all kind of come together, James, and create this European Super League. It's going to be really bad, I think, for the domestic game. Um, what do you think? I completely agree. I think it completely belittles what we've built in the pyramid scheme of the last couple hundred years of the best teams in England battling it out against each other in a league system. I think it just crushes the whole spirit of the game. I think it's rather disgusting, to be honest. Yet. I think Gary Neville was hitting the nail on the head throughout the entire game. I mean, he said he'd abandon his own club if they went through with this. And that shows what just what this means to people all over the world. I mean, teams like Bayern Munich haven't got in there yet. But, I mean, teams like Liverpool, they seem to be in there. In fact, the entirety of the, the so-called big six in England seem to be in there. And you'd like to think that money wasn't playing its part, but it seems to be. And I think it's desperately sad, Rob. Do you think Gary Neville is right to feel the way he does? Oh, yeah, it definitely does. I think English football is all about community. And it's a big problem if the top six, the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United and Spurs all join this Super League, uh, James. You know, what about the other clubs? What about the clubs in the in the pyramid who, who rely on their players uh, who are fed through uh, sort of the pyramid to come and play for them? It's really disappointing that these clubs are taking uh, the money over over you know the community part of football. It's it's very disappointing. Um, you're looking at the Spanish clubs and the Italian clubs also involved in the mix. Um, it, it really does put a big shadow over over football. You know, in the whole world, really, it's it just becomes more of a money thing, and it's it's blatant now for me. It is, and I think obviously in business and in sport. It's, it goes without saying that money is such a prominent factor, but it can sometimes go 
you know, up in smoke and mirrors and behind the screen, and people don't really pay too much attention to it. But when you do something as obvious as this, it is just going to rout the fans. And do you think we'll see a number of supporters turning their backs on their clubs? Yeah, it's it's just it's just the dynamics, really, James. When you think about it, Premier League, you play what is it, forty games a season. You've got FA Cup, you've got League Cup. And then if you're going to play in a European Super League, you'll probably have another twenty, thirty games there. Where, where do you lose the? You're going to lose players physically. They aren't going to be able to play. You know the very top level for sort of seventy games a season, James. I know these people are super athletes, but. Still a lot of games to play in such a short period of time. Um, and, and then it's the calendar of the Football League as well. You've got FA Cup games midweek. You've got League Cup games midweek. But when do you play these European Super League, super Games? That's the, that's the question. Or do the top clubs think they're big enough and they have make enough money out of it to have two separate squads? So you'd have a European Super League squad and then you'd have a, a Premier League squad. You'd have 60 players, let's say. You can mix a match between them. A lot of players, a lot of money, especially on a you know, Premier League player wages yeah I mean Rob what about this can possibly seem like a good idea well do I think it's a good idea James I don't I don't I don't do you think it's a good idea not at all but I mean the people behind this aside from the obvious money grab are there any positives or do you think it is purely just that a money grab I think it's a money grab I don't I don't see how Playing the likes of AC Milan or Barcelona every every week uh, is exciting. Yeah, it's good for the first you know few few you know years and months, but then it becomes a norm, doesn't it? And it's it's not what fans are wanna wanna watch and pay good money for. European Cup, yeah, you get them in the Europa Europa Champions League, um, but it's not it's a special event. The Champions League, you're playing against the best. If you're playing domestic, uh, well, if you're playing in league formation, you're going to play these teams more regular, aren't you, James? Because obviously they'll have to play lots of games to generate money. So it just it just sort of uh, it just sort of defers the product for me, James. And, and and European football used to be a magical thing. You used to go Old Trafford under lights on a Wednesday night. Uh, you know, the 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 steam coming off the crowd. It was a it was a beautiful moment, but it just seems to be, you know, if you go along with this European Super League, it just becomes the the norm and, and I just don't like like the sound of it. I don't like the look of it. Also, how can fans possibly expected to be funding tickets to go abroad every single week near enough? Well, yeah, that's another thing. Fans want to travel, want to follow the sides. You know, yeah, you've got the uh, the Six Nations uh, rugby union where you go to Ireland, you go to you know Wales, you go to Scotland, you go to Italy. But that's once a year, and it's for like a month, uh, a month period. This could be two or three, four months of, of football. And like you said, with the COVID situation, uh, our fans are going to be able to to go around Europe. We don't know what the situation is going to be in the in the next few years. Um, but I don't know how they're going to make the big money out of it because obviously the fans aren't able to go in the stadium at the moment. Um, it's, it's just yeah, it could be the it could be the death knell of, of, of football possibly for me. The question is, Rob. If money takes over the game too much, will there be any grassroots levels of kids wanting to come into the sport anymore? It just becomes more difficult, James, doesn't it, for him? Because obviously, not every not every kid goes to Manchester United and get and makes it. So if if obviously they get to uh, sort of the the Manchester United and they get released, and if if the football league aren't sort of happy 
uh, with the way Man United are responding. And it lets us say uh, the the you know the the nuclear option is the Premier League saying no. You're not allowed. You're not. I don't want you to play in the the football league with us. You go and play in your your, your super league and and leave the the football league. And how much of a catastrophe would that be for for Manchester United in the English Premier League? That the Man United and, and the top sides, Liverpool, another big side, Man City, Spurs, Chelsea. They're the money makers, aren't they, in the Premier League? And if all them, you know, are given an ultimatum and sort of sent off on the way, then obviously you know it's going to be a big burden, isn't it. And these players coming through. Um, aren't going to have the opportunity because you just don't know whether they'll be be able to play. And, and let's say the big six did lead the Premier League and that's what happened. Would that belittle the new champions? Let's say Leicester win it the year after or maybe it's West Ham. Will they really consider themselves Premier League winners when there's six better teams potentially who aren't in the league? There is that. There is that, James. The fact that you know these the teams are, who are outside the top sort of six or the top eight might get the opportunity to win trophies. But is does it devalue that because they're not playing against the top sides? I remember when Man United went to the World Cup Championships in the early two, 2000s and missed out on the FA Cup. There was a, a massive uproar uh, because we, we didn't take part in the FA Cup that year because we were going into the World Champion, the World Club Championships. And it's that kind of thing that if your top teams aren't involved in the top cup competitions what do your sponsors think are they willing to pump in millions of pounds uh, if Man United and Man City and Liverpool and Arsenal and Chelsea aren't there and that and then that becomes a problem for the football pyramid because the money doesn't come in and then the money is that isn't passed to the, the the lower clubs down the pyramid they don't get it drip fed down and then they start to struggle and then we're in a downward spiral aren't we I mean, essentially, the whole pyramid scheme is going to completely crumble to its knees. And I don't know, Rob, it's going to be very interesting to see whether this all goes ahead or not. Do you think it will go ahead just as planned? Well, I hope not, but you never know. Football is, is a funny old game and, and these clubs want to make money, don't they? And it'll be interesting to see. I think I know UEFA aren't very happy. They say any players that take part in this uh, breakaway European Super League uh, will not be able to take part in a World Cup. So that might focus a few minds of our top players uh, here and abroad. I mean, but what what do you do for those players? Do they then have to leave their clubs and try and find a club that isn't in this European Super League? Possibly. Possibly. I suppose that's the flip side because these other clubs will get better players. But I'm sure... You know these players want to get play against the best, don't they? I know the Indian Cricket League that they have they they have their own uh, competition. The best of the best go to India, and it's kind of a draft system, and they play off against each other. Could this be a, a similar kind of thing, James? You know that that's the thing with with football. They're, they're always trying to find a a different way of selling it, uh, but it's going to be a difficult one for me. Well, yeah, but as Gary Neville said, he doesn't mind updating the game or modernising the game. He just doesn't want to completely change the structure of the game. And that seems to be what we're doing here. We're getting rid of tradition, in a way, Rob. And I think that just completely takes away from everything football's ever been. Yeah, because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's about community. But doing this, you're taking the old team out of the community and putting it into a... A super league, a big European Super League with no grounding, because these top clubs all just want to make money. So they think playing Barcelona and Real Madrid will will make money in the short term. But when you played Barcelona and Real Madrid fifteen times in the, in the last sort of three years, the magic will disappear, James, and people won't spend money on that. 
No, they absolutely wouldn't. And if we are playing Real Madrid, you know, a two or three, you know, two times a season, and Barcelona two times a season, AC Milan two times a season, etc., etc., etc. Are there any big games anymore? Because every game is seemingly a big game, and of course, then that would just become the norm and wouldn't mean as much. Yeah. So when, if a big game isn't a big game, then what are we playing for? You play for the for the big moments, don't you? And if and if every game, even though they are against big names, aren't big games, then it, football just becomes a. a Pointless, pointless thing for me, really, because that's what it is. The fans want to be excited. They want fans want to enjoy the moment and and sing and shout. And obviously, with it sort of minutes ago now, James, we we've got to think about this. Do, do us fans really want to watch the likes of Man United and Man City in a in a European Super League, or are we happy to to watch us in the Premier League where the where there's local rivalries and 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 everything else? I mean, that's potentially the most important thing you just mentioned there, Rob. Local rivalries, and yes, I know United and City would both be in there, but week in, week out, in the league football, you get these big grudge matches, don't you, between these teams, and you'd lose that so much in a European Super League. But to overall answer the question, it's definitely something that I don't want to happen. It'll be very interesting to see how things go over the next few weeks and months, but I think it could well happen, but I really don't want it to. What, what, how do you feel on the matter? It's going to be very interesting to see. Obviously, we'll be covering it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Big thanks for joining us on this week's show. It's always a pleasure to talk to all things, all you people in Salford. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.